beautiful day. We're going to start out with some worship this morning. He is so worthy. Let's stand up together. Scars, pure love release. 
I am not Aaron. Yeah, right? Um, we're, we're glad you're with us. Uh, if you're visiting us for the first time, we have a QR code in our bulletin. Um, if you don't want to do that and take a picture of our QR code, there's a connection card outside. Please let us know who you are uh, so that we can touch base with you. I know I told you to sit down, but please take this moment to get up and greet somebody you haven't seen today.
Time of prayer as we... <laughs> All right, do I have to turn my dad voice on? All right, folks, to your seats. If you have your copy of the Bible, please turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, or we have it on the screen. Um, this is uh, what is known as our praying the scripture. Um, let me read it, and then I'll commit our time as we sing these songs with the choir, and as the choir leads us, and as we go through the word, may we... May we take hold of these words, Uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we are in awe of you. You are great. You're so far more than we can ever imagine or think of. And as we have sung, Lord, these wonderful songs of praise, Lord, we think of that mercy tree in whom we have redemption. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray as we sing these songs of praise that we would keep, that you would keep us near the cross in our daily lives. Lord, that you would speak to us, to our very hearts as, uh, through these songs, but specifically through your word. We pray that you would bless our time now, Lord, not just now, Lord, but the time when we leave, Lord. That we would be the church, not just as we gather together now, but as we go out into that world, Lord, that we may be image bearers of you, redeemed image bearers. And we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name.
Parents, apparently it's that time of the service for Children's Church. For those of you that are not going to Children's Church, please go to the book of Exodus. Book of Exodus, chapter 7. If you have a moment today, I want you to think about our pastor. Uh, he doesn't really like to make a big fuss of himself. I get to. Uh, we're blessed to have a man that loves God and loves his people. And uh, I encourage you, if you have a moment, to send him a text message. And not necessarily today, but send it to him. Encourage him that he would get rest um, and that he would be raring to go when he comes back. Um, he's not gone for a long time, but just that he would spend a good amount of time with his family. Uh, if you have Exodus chapter 7, please stand with me as we read together verses 1 through 13. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Exodus chapter 7, verse 1, And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. And your brother Aaron shall be your prophet, and you shall speak all that I command you. And your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my People, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt, by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Verse 8, Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourself by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Praise be to God's word. Please be seated. We live in a world that longs for a savior, longs for heroes. We have screenwriters who long to make the next big deal superhero movie. We live in a world that longs for heroes and will do anything within its actions to get it. Your life, you may long for a savior in some way or another. We're post-pandemic. People longed for a way out of a lifestyle that they didn't like. Uh, we long for a political solution to our world. Presidents that we like or don't like, or our liberties, or but a few of the things that our world faces. Today we come to a part in Exodus when God shows his glory to a stubborn world ruled by Pharaoh. 
through the hands of Moses and Aaron. I didn't read from Exodus chapter 1 through 7, but so just to give you a little bit of context, things to keep in mind when we're reading through this, in Exodus chapter 4, God speaks to Moses, and he says, when you speak to Pharaoh to let my people go to worship, know for sure that I will harden the heart of Pharaoh. So as you know, when Moses goes to Pharaoh, he is met with a hardened heart. And then in Exodus chapter 5, one particular taunt from Pharaoh to Moses concerning God. God is Yahweh. He is the covenant God of Israel. And he asks, Pharaoh asks this question, who is this Yahweh that I should obey him? That I should obey his voice and let Israel go. That's in chapter 5 verse 2. And in this question, God has a, has a vested interest in answering. And notice in the, in the chapter we read, in verse 5, God tells Moses and Aaron, The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Egypt wants to know who Yahweh is. They will know it in this particular text. They will know my name. They will know my power. They will know in the grand scheme of things in Egypt who God is. And while there are a lot of characters in the story the author of Moses wants us to bring out, there are two specifically that I want us to pay attention to. And that is of God and Pharaoh. Out of all of the characters that you see, that you know that Hollywood has made a big deal of, there are two specifically in this text I want you to pay attention to. That is God and that is of Pharaoh. You will notice even in the storytelling, there are two parallel stories, two actions by two different leaders that mirror and mimic one another. God summons and commands his servants to go out and say what he says according to his word. And once those words are spoken, then they perform a wonder. And as soon as that wonder is seen, then you see Pharaoh calls his servants, and he speaks to them in a very similar command. His servants obey his voice, and they perform a wonder. It's, it's a head-to-head matchup between these two particular kings, the God of Israel and the Pharaoh of Egypt. So what can we learn? The text begins with Yahweh, the God of Israel, calling Moses and Aaron to himself as representatives, gives them specific orders, and he wants them to execute in the presence of Pharaoh. And as servants, they did just as the Lord commanded. Verse 10, we read it. We are told as Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, uh, who, who were his servants, and it became, the staff became a serpent. And you know as you read this, if you're a child and you remember the story, you're struck, you're like, that's awesome. The staff is exactly what God says. But then you carry on reading and you realize Pharaoh does exactly the same thing and you're like, oh, okay. And we see in the one sense with God doing this, we see God is in control, what he says he does. And when we were a little bit confused when Pharaoh does the same thing, but I want you to understand, for the Egyptians, Pharaoh is not just anyone. There's a, an Egyptian academic that I read, and he says this is what the Egyptians describe Pharaoh as. They described him as eternal, worthy of worship, omniscient, the one who imbued Egypt with existence and power. They taught that he was the very life force of Egypt. They believed he was the creator, even the son of God. But we do not need to read from those academic texts to understand who Pharaoh is. We just need to read from the text in Exodus who he was. We learn that just as God had commanded his servants, so will Pharaoh speak to his. Just as God performed a wonder, so will Pharaoh's servants perform one as well. Pharaoh is presented as a god in the text. He has the power to perform wonders. He speaks words and his servants do his bidding. And many attempts have been made to explain this. I mean, you see, we do not have a problem with God doing a miracle. At least most of us don't. 
And yet, as God performs the wonder, we see Pharisees perform a wonder that looks an awful lot like what God did. The text doesn't give us a natural explanation of what it is. It just says secret arts. And they did perform what looked like an equal wonder with God. And as you read in the text, at this point, the scores are tied. They're on equal footing, as it were. They both have great power, and yet, if one has to get the advantage, it looks like Pharaoh. Now, you've seen the movie. <clears throat> you see two snakes come from the magicians of Pharaoh. It doesn't say two. It says each man had their staff, and each of those staffs became serpents against the one Aaron had. There were many. This isn't a tied match if you look at the bare bones of this. At least his magicians were able to do multiple snakes, and Aaron was only able to produce one. But it's not merely a battle of wonders. It's not just who can perform the greatest sign. It is a battle of who is God. Who is the boss? You may sit here today, may have been forced to come here to listen to me, but I want to ask you this question. Whether you like it or not, you need to be confronted with this fact. Do you know who God is in your very life? Are you concerned with this fact? Do you say as Pharaoh did in chapter 5, verse 2, Who is Yahweh that I should obey Him? Who is He? But the question is not just who is this God, but in this, in this chapter, who is the God of this area in Egypt? Does the God of Israel have any say in this area in Egypt? Does the God of the Scriptures have a say in my life? Not according to their beliefs, says the Egyptians, not according to their gods, their deities, and Pharaoh is the human representative of these gods. Is it Pharaoh? Or is it the God of Israel? But you will notice that as similar as the story unfolds, what stands out are the differences. There are two subtle differences between the way these two signs are executed because there are subtle differences. And we can see that the author is trying to hint at something. From the beginning to the end, even before he tells us the result of this particular situation. So first, we will see that God's voice is the only one heard in the text. What I mean by that is, is that we are told explicitly what God told verbally to Moses and Aaron. Here is what you will say. Here is what you will speak. This God is a speaking God. At least it is what is in the text. But what we, what we also see in the servants of God is that they did not merely obey God's voice once he had spoken, but they didn't need to do anything else. God said they did it. They only do what he has told them to do. Whereas Pharaoh's servants, on the contrary, not only summoned to the room in verse 11, but they begin to talk amongst themselves. They conjure, they cast spells. They have to do all the work to execute the particular wonder Pharaoh wants while Pharaoh sits there quietly as the mute he is. What is fascinating is the fact that God speaks isn't just the difference, but God, what God says in our text is, take your staff cast it out before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent, that it may be a serpent, is the language. They did so, and it was a serpent. And you might not think that's a big deal, but the way he structured, Moses structured that word, is meant to pucker up our ears of who this God is he's been speaking about. Let me give you a heads up. Let there be light. And there was light. Moses is drawing our attention to the fact that this God against Pharaoh is the God of creation. 
This is not just any. He uses the same verbs here as let there be serpent. There was a serpent. And the author is hinting at that. God, with his mere speaking voice, was able to create the worlds that now are. That God is engaged in a battle with this particular king. One of, those, one of the two gods was there in the beginning, speaking the world into existence. And it is no wonder that, that when he speaks, his servants, all they do is listen, do what he says, and it happens. Aaron doesn't have to conjure, he doesn't have to cast spells, he doesn't have to do anything but drop his staff on the ground because God has spoken. And therefore, it will be performed. The magicians, however, speak many words while their God sits there, mutely. You see, there is a creator and there's a pretender. It is not a battle of equals. These two are not on the same playing field, and this is about to be made very, very well known in this text. The second thing we want to see this morning is not merely that it is God, little G versus God of Israel, but that this text shows us that the writing is already on the wall for Pharaoh. This battle, if you read verse 7, it'll go back and forth in the story. There will be a back and forth, merely just performance art, because the author already tells us the outcome of the events in the text. How do we say, just as we see these two representatives do these wonders, just as we see these snakes created on the floor without any words, without any hesitation in the text, without any actions from the servants of God, Aaron's snakes eat all of Pharaoh's snakes. I mean, that is a mic drop moment. That is a booyah. That is where you have the horse's head caught in the sheets moment. See, this is not just an extra points tally kind of a story. Our snake ate your snakes. Our sign is better than yours. You see, it is a precursor. It is a foreshadowing of the future of Pharaoh himself. Why do I say that? Well, the first thing, the staff becomes a serpent. And if you know any historical figures of looking at Pharaoh himself, his sign of authority was that of a serpent, of a snake. The signet he wore on his crown was some kind of a serpent. And it was his sign of sovereignty over his land. It was his symbol, the snake of his majesty, of his rule. And so for the staff to immediately become a snake, God is connecting these two things. Basically, he's asking him a question. He's asking him, do you, so you think you're the king of this area? You think that you're in control? You think that you're sovereign? Well, this sign is going to say something about the claim that you wear to the point of where you sit. It tells us more than just that because the word used for snake is no ordinary term. There are other ways to get it. But in this Hebrew word, this word is tenin, which is laid out throughout the scriptures. It's, it's the word for the great dragon or sea creatures as you would read it. And it's used throughout the Old Testament in various ways. And it's kind of synonymous with great dragon and sea monsters. Why does that matter? Well, when we read Genesis and we read about that, we read it in a positive way. God created those animals, we read it in a positive way. But the term used here is used negatively. In the creation account, there are sea creatures, positive. But this symbol takes a negative connotation. When you begin reading through the Psalms, through the prophets, and it begins to take a symbol of chaos. Either water that cannot be controlled or water that can swallow you up because those sea monsters are there. This is a creature that is untamed, untamable. And because he is untamable, it brings chaos to the people. And you know, if you read through, the Israelites were not a seafaring people. They did not like to go to the Great Sea. They didn't like to go there because of what lay beyond it. And some of that fear had to do with the sea creatures, the tanin. 
because of the chaos found upon the sea, because of the threat it brings upon life. Tanin is the opposite of what brings rest. If God promises something that brings us rest, wholeness, comfort, this great beast, this great dragon, brings threats. It's out of control. And therefore, you cannot live life near it and around it without suffering. At least suffering in fear, if not actual pain. I mean, I want you to think about what that meant for Israel's life to this point. What has their life already been like at the hands of Egypt? In particular, Pharaoh. Think about the chaos, the destruction, especially as it was linked to water. If you go back all the way through Exodus 1, the life of Moses. Pharaoh had already spoken concerning the sons of Israel born. They are to be cast into the Nile so that they would drown. The water of the Nile had become far for them a place of death and chaos. I mean, think of even the redemption of Moses, baby Moses, put into that basket, sent down the Nile. He was put into this basket, that same word, basket, is the same word for Noah's Ark. And underneath that Ark, that river, described that of death and destruction, much like the waters of the flood. The waters, like the creature, the dragon or the serpent, are waters of chaos. Pharaoh, in his claims to be a deity, to be a god, has made himself a monster to Israel. He is the one who has been removing their peace. He has been bringing chaos and destruction. He has worn them down, and ultimately, he's made himself a god. And it should be of no surprise to us that if you read the Scriptures, you see the prophets speak specifically of Pharaoh. I don't want you to turn there, but Isaiah 51, verses 9 and 10. Listen to what it says. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake, as in days of old, the generations of long ago. Was it not you who cut Rahab in pieces, who pierced the dragon? Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made the depths of the sea a way for the redeemed to pass over? So the prophets allude to this. It's interesting if you read through the prophets, how they look back, and they look back, and they look at this moment. Isaiah says the Lord, the Lord pierced the dragon right before he made a way for the people to walk over the Red Sea. Ezekiel, another prophet, 29, verse 3. This is what it says. I am against you, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, that great dragon that lies in his streams, that says, my Nile is my own. I made it for myself. Much like the claim we have in this text, he pretends, he pretends, friends, to be a God. I mean, he even says, I have made the Nile. I am the dragon that rules in these particular waters. Well, so what? So what? You see, what is going on here? The Pharaoh, the great dragon of chaos, the one who threatens to swallow up the very lives and well-being of Israel, has his serpent swallowed up by the serpent of Aaron. And this is the message that God is sending to Pharaoh on this particular day. The message is simple. Your days are numbered. Your end is already in sight, and Pharaoh, before all of this is over, you will know a few things. You will know that you are not the Creator God. You will indeed know my name. In fact, in this quick sign, we know the whole end of the Exodus story. Pharaoh and his servants, snakes, were swallowed up, And that is their future. And it is no coincidence that when Moses, in Exodus chapter 15, when he looks back, 
In verse 10, this is what he reads. This, this is what he writes. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. That word covered is the same word for swallowed. Moses will look back over the Red Sea and say, you swallowed them, Lord. The future of Pharaoh has just been played out right before his eyes, before any of the plagues were given. We already know how the story ends. So what does Pharaoh do? He hardens his heart. Even the wrath of man shall praise God. The fact that he hardened his heart affirms the authority of God. After the first sign, Pharaoh sees his destruction is at hand, and sure enough, he hardens his heart, only to prove once again who is in charge. God is in charge. Yes, Pharaoh is a threat. Evil is a threat. Chaos haunts the very lives of God's people all over the world. But the God of Israel rules even over the chaos. It is no threat to him. Even Pharaoh, with all his might, is under the control of the God of Israel. He says, friends, I want you to take this in. He says, God says to the chaos, you can go this far and no further. You can have this power and no more. Your days can be this long and no longer. When we see that the days are numbered, we also see that this is true, that while the victory, you see this, while the victory is won, it is an anticipated victory. We see even before it begins, we know the Exodus story. The cat is out of the bag. God's going to win. We know this. We're thrilled. Snakes eaten. Doom is sure for Pharaoh. But it's an anticipated victory. It's as good as done. The power of God will devour and swallow up all the powers and gods of the age. But there is quite a ways to the promised land. There are quite a few journeys to be made. There is quite a few trials to endure. There is quite a bit of suffering from God's enemies that still has to take place before the victory is seen. The people of God will suffer even though they've been told what the end will be. Please do not take salvation. If you're a Christian, please, please do not take salvation as something that is sure that will exempt you from suffering, persecution, a hard life. The story tells us the future ahead of time. The enemy and all the enemies of God will be swallowed up. And in death and in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we too with Israel have seen, friends, seen the future ahead of time. All of our enemies have been defeated. Sin Suffering, death, even the devil, all of our enemies will be destroyed at the hand and power of God. Amen? And yet, we wait. We wait. We wait to be clothed with new life. We wait to overcome our sin and all of our physical sicknesses. We wait to see a world that is not at war with God and that doesn't reject all of His ways. We wait to see the devil, the dragon of old, put away once and for all. And you see, this story foreshadows our own story, that the war may be over, but many battles continue, many obstacles that still must be overcome. The world that despises the very things of God is the world you and I live in. Much like Israel is going to be given back under the hand of Pharaoh, even while these plagues are being executed, they will suffer because of the rage of Pharaoh. You see, we live in a world that despises the very things of God. Even though God has claimed victory through Christ in His death and resurrection, even though He rules and reigns in all things, does the world despise God? Well, maybe this morning you may not feel that way. But say something about what is right morally in this age. Say it out loud. 
and say, and, and say it as you mean it. See what happens. The sin of homosexuality. That God will judge on the last day. See how that goes over if you say that at a community cookout. Stand up and plainly say that vanity is one of the deadliest sins that could give rise to many other sins. And see how many people follow. Say that independence and hating authority is from the evil one and mimics the devil himself. Or say that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him, and see how popular you are in the age. But you see, the more frightening thing than those things are, the more frightening thing is as we hear these things and we see the disdain in the world, this is not just It is not just the world that despises God. And I asked this question, and it was a very, very rough week thinking about this and seeing it played out in my own life. But how our very lives, how our very actions, how our very thoughts, how our very words despises the things of God, even as Christians. Not just because we join the world in believing the things of the world, but the problem is we do not fight as we should. Even when we fight, we fail. We will see Israel's greatest enemy will be Israel. No other enemy will do as much damage as Israel will do for her future as she will do for herself. She will even cry Cry for the days in Egypt. And that sounds a whole lot like our lives. Israel is our own worst enemy throughout the scriptures. And it is only through the mediation of Moses that God spares her. How often, even though we are born from above, friends, if you're a Christian sitting here today, how often do we fight for our place in the world? How often do we want to make a name for ourselves in this world? It is easy to see how warped the world is, but it is harder to acknowledge how warped we are. But friends, we can say, if you're a Christian, thanks be to God, lest we forget that the battle is already won. We already know that our mediator is greater than Moses. And he never ceases to make intercession for us day and night before the throne room of God. We know that God is the only true king. He is the boss. And that he can save to the uttermost all those who come to Christ. That is salvation, friends. That is good news. Amen? Praise God that from the beginning to the end, it is wholly dependent upon his power to save. And it's not our own. You struggle, I struggle, we struggle with our sins. And may God, through His power, save us from ourselves. Save us. You see, God has the, wor- has the words to create, and the same word that sustains, and there is no power in heaven and on earth that doesn't have control over, including you. And you might think, I have a struggle a difficulty, a frustration of sin in my life, God has the power to overcome that. Friends, that's why we call it good news. Because it is dependent upon the one who is good. All praise be to God who saves us in Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. O oh God of, our, of all grace, you have given us a Savior. Produce in us a faith to live by him, to make him all of our desire, all of our hope, all of our glory. May we enter him as our refuge, build on him as our foundation, walk in him as our way, 
follow him as our guide, conform to him as our example, receive our instructions as our prophet, rely on him as our priest, obey him as our king. May we never be ashamed of him or his words. Lord, I pray you give us grace, Lord, even now as we sit, as we think about these words, even as we sing these songs, Lord. Lord, may we know that you are, you are enough for our lives. Bless us, Lord, even on this Lord's Day, Lord, with a sense of who is God that we should obey. May we be brought to that realization. May the person sitting here that doesn't know God, may they come to a saving faith even today. So we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. He is enough. sacrifice a greatest price still more awesome than I know you are my reward with living for still more awesome than I know all of you is more than enough for all of me for every thirst and every need, you satisfy me with your love. And all I have in you is more than enough. You're my sacrifice of greatest price. Still more awesome than I know You're my coming King You're everything Still more awesome than I know And all of you Is more than enough for All of me For every thirst and Every need You satisfy me with your love and all I have in you is more than enough you're more than all I want more than all I need you are more than enough for me more than all I know more than all I can see you are more than enough for me, more than all I want, more than all I need. You are more than enough for me, more than all I know, more than all I can see. You are more than enough, all of you, more than enough for all of me for every thirst and every need you satisfy me with your love and all i have in you is more than enough and all i have in you is more than enough yes all i have in you is more than enough Before our Deacon of the Week comes up to give us our um, benediction, our time of prayer, just some reminders. Um, like I told you, Pastor Aaron doesn't like to say this. It's Pastor Appreciation Month. Please, friends. Not just today, but please encourage your pastor. Uh, think of him. Give him a phone call. Hopefully this time it's not something going on that you need to scare him with. but something that you can encourage him with. Um, I, I encourage you to do that. 
Um, if you have your bulletin with you, something that Pastor Aaron asked me to pay particular attention to is October the 30th. There's a membership class, new members class. So for, for new members or those interested in joining Northside, uh, please join us. It's, it's going to be part of the Sunday school hour at 9.15. No breakfast will be provided for any of those attending that class. Um, so please sign up. There's a sign-up sheet just outside here to your left. I encourage you to do that just so that we have a tally of uh, how much to get for that breakfast. If you have any questions, please come and talk to me about that um, or when he's back with Pastor Aaron. Um, there's also a senior friends. We'll be going to Buckner's Family Restaurant on, 30th, on the 20th of October, pardon me, on Thursday. There's a sign-up sheet at the back there. Um, did I say that right? All good? Um, that'll be in the, so you should be at the church here at 10 a.m. The last thing on the 30th of October is the full festival. And I, I encourage my students to sign up, and a whole bunch of them did, and I'm very grateful for that. But there's always more spots. So please sign up for that, as well as um, there's a specific spot for, for drinks. And so if you have, just go and look on the board. If you can provide, the more we can provide, the less we have to spend. So I encourage you, if you want to serve, if there's something you want to serve with, in that particular fall festival, we've, we've done this before. Um, there's a chili cook-off. So for those of you that know the winner last time and you want to beat them. Um, and there you go. <clears throat> and so there's a chili cook-off. The sign-up sheet's there, just so that we get a heads up with that. Um, read your bulletin. Um, Philip, please lead us in prayer. will say that one way that you can appreciate your pastor that a lot of people don't think about is praying for him because, you know, verbal encouragement's great, gifts are great, but uh, I can assure you they're meeting the need for you to be prayed over. Uh, so we, we can return that favor, and I'm sure they're very appreciative of that. Uh, with that said, let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to gather together, Lord, to worship you. Uh, God, there are people who would, would give their very lives to do what we're able to do here for free. Um, be with us as we leave from here. Uh, Lord, we have no activities tonight. Uh, as things wind up next week, help us to uh, take this message, uh, put, it to, put it to practice. Uh, Lord, we're grateful for the fact that the plan's mapped out for us. As believers, we don't, we don't have to worry about anything because it's already laid out, and you've told us that you work it together for your good. Uh, be with us now as we depart uh, until we're able to gather together again, and may everything that we do uh, give glory and honor to your name and notoriety to the name of Jesus. And it's in his name I pray. Amen.